I, I've been in the ministry a long time and observed family life teams, marriage ministries, singles ministries, etc. But I tell you what, I don't know if there's ever been a more difficult time to be in the marriage ministry. <laughs> The world has never been in this place before. I mean, when I came into ministry, it was reasonably simple. It was a man and a woman and a couple of kids, you know. And that was it. We didn't have all these definitions. It was simple. Life was simple. What a transformation in like 20, 30 years. Now, if you're in marriage ministry, there's a lot of single parents, you know huge portion of our churches i travel all over the world have you any idea how many christians are single moms and single dads and the church needs to catch up with that now we've got same-sex marriage right out there where people are out there they've, they've got married they're in the world and they find jesus now what do we do You've got stepchildren and children. You've got divorce and adultery. You've got custody. We're dealing with a custody, child custody situation at the moment. Gay parents, gay children, transgender. All of this has flooded our marriage ministries. And to be honest, I don't believe churches you or me i don't believe any of us are ready at all a bit like the pandemic were we ready for the pandemic no sir i don't know anybody on this planet who was ready for the pandemic nobody nor are we ready for the change in marriage and the change to our families and what the future holds we're not ready and the result of us not being ready for the pandemic do you know what it was distance between us <laughs> ironic isn't it because we weren't prepared for the pandemic it automatically forced us apart and the sex issues the gender issues because we are not prepared for these issues it's having the same effect so you have the LGBT community going in one direction, the church going in another direction, and there's a lot of social distance, a lot of distance between churches being created and between cultures and communities, simply because I believe we are not ready for the dialogue and the discussions that are necessary. We need to talk. We need to talk today, guys. We need to talk. We need to talk about the issues facing your family and your future and how you interact with this modern world in 2021. We can't close our doors and hide in here. That's not the Gospel Commission. We're called to go. We're called to go out there into all nations, all communities in our society and reach them like Jesus did. Jesus knocked every door. He didn't avoid this community or that. No way. It's not true. He was criticized for it. He was good. What's he doing there? He was criticized for it by the religious types. But Jesus had no problem approaching everybody. And we need to be the same. We need preparation, all right? We need a biblical way of living as families, as fathers, mothers, 
and kids in our school systems, we need a biblical way of handling this. As a church, I'm preaching from London, by the way, from those of you watching this from other countries. As a church here in LFC, we did three weeks, three full Sundays where we dedicate, I called it Mind the Gap because there's a social distance being created between the gay community, LGBT and all that, and the church. That's not healthy for anybody. That's not going to do any good. So Mind the Gap was be careful of that gap because it's a dangerous gap for everybody. We did three full weeks in 2018 just thinking about this issue. Then in Easter camp in 2018 and in 2019, we dedicated a couple of workshops just on this issue. And I gave out copious notes and guidelines for how we can behave and how we should perhaps adjust our attitudes. I have ma I've made huge adjustments to my attitude. My heart has changed on this issue in leaps and bounds. <laughs> And in our Life in the Word, which is our local Bible study here we hold on Fridays, we've spent the last two weeks looking at this issue under the excellent guidance of Tanaya. I must say, it's great to have a professional um, on board to help us with this. And that's just been great. And we're going to conclude with Richard next Friday. Today, I want to do the same thing. I want, I, I'm not going to so much share my opinions today. I want to share the general Pentecostal evangelical perspective on LGBT and how the church needs to interact and approach and develop a dialogue with what is an ever more diverse community that surrounds us. And we find ourselves in a family, an extended family, which could be very diverse. Now, as a pastor, most of my friends are pastors, but of all the friends I know, I, I'm probably the one guy who's pr brought this issue to the agenda more than anybody. Um, but I'm just going to tell the truth. I have not, you know, nobody's, oh yeah, good, let's talk about it. That's not the reaction I've received virtually anywhere. People don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. Let's talk about something else. It's too controversial. It's too dangerous. Cause too much trouble. Yeah, I've had that everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere. That I, either that's one reaction I get. I don't want to talk about this. Let's talk about something else. Even though this issue is causing enormous pain to so many people. In, in one country, I was in one country about 10 years ago, and I was doing a seminar there on LGBT and the church's approach to this community. And I could feel the atmosphere in the room rejecting me, you know, but I just kept going. And there was one girl, her face was just mocking me. And she couldn't hold it in. She put her hand up as I was in mid-flow, you know. I said, no, what, what would you like to say? And she said, you know, we actually don't need to hear this stuff that you're bringing us. You know, we don't need this. I don't know why we're talking about this. So I said to her, she said, we don't have any problems with this in our society. Right? Maybe in London you have a big gay community and that, and this is an issue with the church. Not here, Pastor Mike. You don't understand. So I politely said to her, friend, you don't understand. And if you, in your naivety you sit there and say this is not a problem for me, I guarantee you it soon will be. That was in 2014. By 2018, in that very city, the government gave over a major city center park to the gay community. It was a shock to the nation. 
and the whole closet got empty. Do you know what I mean? There was a major change in the culture and people felt very free about being liberated, as they would see it, and coming out and expressing their true sexual identity. And I was back in the same church and I remember, not that girl, but the leader of the church saying, boy, did we miss this or what? And she could remember the seminar and she could remember, we rejected you on this, but we, we were wrong. Yeah, but that's what's happening all over the world. We live in our little religious microcosm of society. We live in our little holy huddles. And we can become so detached, and I repeat, which is exactly what Jesus didn't do. Exactly what Je Jesus was out there. He was in the thick of it, even though it caused trouble for him. Eventually, they killed him. So, sorry folks, when you're in an army, the day comes you have to stick your head above the parapet. You have to come out of the trench, you know. You can't stay in the trench. You need to make your mind up. You join the army, you're going to get shot at. Or don't join the army, that's life. Who do I feel sorry for today? Who do I feel sorry for? Everybody. Absolutely everybody. I feel sorry for the church. I have a pain for the confusion and the, div the division being caused. I feel sorry for our kids and the misunderstanding in LIW the last few weeks, to be honest. I'm quite shocked with some of the questions asked by our own people. <laughs> Showing, you know, how little we understand. I, I feel sorry for those who are hurt and feel alienated and misunderstood and not listened to. I feel sorry for everybody. In this issue. Now I do street evangelism, done it for years. I did it full time for three years of my life. Open air preaching, street preaching. And back then this was an issue also. Uh, and, and many times the, someone from the gay community um, would come up and confront me when I was preaching, you know. And very, I, I want to explain some of the questions that come from a place of hurt, okay? Just so you get the picture. So it's a very common thing when you're preaching the gospel that uh, a gay person will come and say, excuse me, can I talk to you? And they'll say to you, do you have loving relationships? You know, are you married? I say, yeah, I'm married. I, do you have a loving relationship in your life? I say, yes, I have a loving relationship. Why can I not have that? Why are you denying me the very thing that you have? <laughs> you see? And you feel the pain of people. So my response to that, I say, you know, sir or madam, let me explain. There is nothing wrong with two people of the same sex loving them, each other. Nothing at all. David loved Jonathan. Jesus loved the twelve. Jesus loved John. Naomi loved Ruth. There is no prohibition whatsoever for you having deep and loving relationships with someone of the same sex. That's all through scripture. That's even encouraged. So no, I'm, God nor the church puts no prohibition on such a thing. But what God does do is he draws a line when it comes to sex and marriage. And the romantic side of that. There's a line there. There's a distinction there. And why does God do that? Because God designed you. That's why. God, he's the maker. Read the maker's instructions. I, I use Titanic the movie as an example all the time because it's a brilliant movie. I love the structure of that movie. The an hour and a half and an hour and a half in the mid. It's really good uh, construction.
And at the midsection, that one and a half hour point, remember that's when the people are confused and they don't know that what's happening. They don't know the effect it's going to have on the ship. They need the maker and they wake him up. You need to come down. We've been hit by an iceberg. And the dis before the maker gets in the room, they're having this discussion. We're going to be fine. This is the Titanic. Nothing can sink our ship. This is fine. And then in walks, I forget the man's name. In walks the maker and the designer of the ship. And they tell him, you know, the, the watertight cabins are flooded, flooded, flooded. And then they wait for the maker's decision. We're okay, aren't we? And he looks up. And he says, gentlemen, this ship will sink. <laughs> he uses the word founder. This ship will founder. And when God looks at relationships, the reason he puts the prohibition there, the reason he puts that gap there, have your loving relationships. But take God's advice because I designed you. When it comes to sex and marriage, be very careful that you don't sink your own ship be very careful to heed god's advice and instruction in the way we handle our relationships another thing that i get constantly when you're preaching on the street i had it recently excuse me excuse me can a gay person be saved this is a very common question can a gay person be saved well let me let me ask this can i be saved right can you be saved What's it got to do with a gay person? Why, why be specific? Of course a gay person can be saved. Of course a gay person can be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave the life of his only begotten son so that whosoever, everybody, even you, even you, I know it's incredible, but it's true, even you can be saved. Of course a gay person can be saved. So much confusion so much hurt and so much pain but what if they keep up their gay lifestyle that's a different question that's a different question altogether what of a heterosexual person who has lustful thoughts what if a heterosexual person keeps up their bad thoughts can a heterosexual person be saved then okay let's have an illustration let's have an imaginary guy here called jack okay jack's a normal hot-blooded male he likes girls and he's a good-looking guy he's had lots of girls he's very promiscuous he sleeps with all his girlfriends you know that's Jack and then one day Jack hears the gospel and he gets saved can Jack be saved yes now Jack repents of his lifestyle he comes into the church now Jack is hallelujah but guess what Jack still likes girls. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Jack walks down the street. He sees a beautiful... Oh, she's not... Uh-oh. Now, can Jack still be saved? Because that's sexual deviance. That's deviant sexual behavior. Is Jack saved? Answer the question. Yes or no? And of course the church is, oh, of course Jack saves. He's just struggling because he's a young man. But God doesn't make those differentiations. We're so quick to excuse ourselves. And so quick to condemn others. Jack needs, you know, Jack, you know what Jack is? Saved in his spirit. Working on his soul. 
he may keep those deviant desires for the rest of his Christian life. He may never be able to conquer them, but he wants to, and he's trying to. So someone from the gay community <coughs> can come to know Christ and then come in amongst us. And just like you and just like me, they look at scripture and begin, like all of us, to conform to the likeness of Christ and work on it. Can a gay person be saved? Absolutely. Just like you can. We need to lighten up on some of this stuff, to be honest with you. I, I, I always take my, wife hand, my wife's hand everywhere we go. We're going to Tesco's, I take her hand. People think you're going on a date. No, this is just a normal day. We walk hand in hand. That's my principle. And if I see, like, thank God for her sense of humor. If I see a really sexy girl in the distance walking towards us, right? And she's beautiful, she's sexy. Do you know what I do? I squeeze her hand and I say, wow, look at her. And she goes, what do you do? Don't you look at her? <laughs> um, and we do that all the time. Just a bit of fun. Just, just, just. But you know what's dangerous? If I'm walking down the street and there's a bit, I go, as if there's no problem. As if I'm Mr. Perfect. As if I, we need to get that out of the closet as well, my friend. You need to get that out of the closet as well. Yes, I'm a red-blooded male. Yes, I have, have desires or you wouldn't be human. But the error is when we start to, you know, compartmentalize the deviance. That's the error. And that's where there's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. The Apostle Paul talked about this. I'm saved in my spirit. My, I'm, I'm being sanctified in my soul and one day my body will be saved. That, that, that's the theological structure. Paul talks about this. What a wretched man I am. <laughs> what a wretched man I am. In my spirit I want to serve the Lord. But here I am stuck in this soul. And my body leads me in the wrong way so often. Oh thank God for Jesus Christ. As I put my hope in him and I receive the spirit. I can rise out of this torment. This is the reality for many people. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> it wouldn't be Sunday if you didn't cough. Three things I want to look at today. The first thing is to look at some general questions, frequently asked questions amongst our community, Christian community and the gay community. Second thing I want to look at is the problem we have with misgendering, but not in the way that is currently being talked about. And the last thing, just what we should do as a church. So first of all, I, I thank Sandra Ketter and Tanaya indeed for the last couple of weeks, some of the best LIWs I've ever been in, to be honest with you. They've just been fascinating. They went on quite late because we couldn't stop talking. But one of the things that came out of that, one of the results of that group is that we as Christians, we need a dialogue. We need a script. When I trained in evangelism, they used to give us like a troubleshooting script. If you face this problem, this is your answer. If you face that problem, this is your answer. If they say this, that was really helpful to me as a young believer. And the church is currently in a situation that we need a script. We need serious guidance on how to deal with the world and our workplaces and the church and our family. My brother who's gay, who's someone dealing with that recently my brother's gay my, you know my father was straight and now he's gay whatever we need a dialogue we need to open up a dialogue amongst ourselves and that's partly what this opening my opening points are about in terms of questions and answers but 
First of all, I mentioned this before, but for me, it's a, it's a primary starting place. Please get out of your head the them and us thing. Okay? This was what the Pharisees did. There's us in our holiness and our self-righteousness and our legal, and then there's them. See that attitude? This is not what Christ did. This is not, this is why sinners ran to Jesus and ran away from those religious types. I hope you can agree with me. I don't see myself as different from anybody on this planet. I am a man like any other. Jesus came to save us. For God so loved the whole world. I'm not better than anybody. But I believe that. I hope you can believe that with me. Jesus wants to embrace people, to bring them to himself. But that doesn't make me better. That makes me graced and saved. Praise. This was Jonah's problem. Them? The Ninevites? You want me to go to the Ninevites? He despised them. He looked down on them and he never learned his lesson, even at the end of the book. And God spoke to him. Don't you realize, Jonah, I love them as well? Don't you realize that? What's with the attitude? So, don't have a them and us attitude. Remember when the apostles, they, they saw, Je oh, there's Jesus and there's us. There's Jesus up there. And then there's poor little us. Lord, would you teach us just anything? Teach us how to pray. Do you know what Jesus didn't say? He didn't say, my father. Because there's you down there and then there's me. My, he didn't say my. He said our. And he wanted to break down the him and us. Within those apostles, within those followers. And he wanted to, break, to, to, to let them feel something of inclusion and acceptance. And I pray that same spirit upon us in every area of our lives. The second most common thing in terms of questions and answers is people, you know, when you start preaching the gospel, people will say, you're condemning me. You're judging me. Don't judge me. I'm not so much judging you, and Christians are not so much judging you, <coughs> I hope. They're informing you. I'm informing you of God's judgments. I'm informing you of the information in the book that applies to me and to you. I'm not judging you. It's quite, it's quite separate from me, actually. <laughs> it's, as Jesus would put it, right? It's the, it's the word that judges. A good way to look at it, what type of judge am I? What type of judge am I as I walk through my workplace, as I mix in my society? You know, there's two types of judges. The judgmental ones, excuse the pun. The ones who think they're above it. And then there's judges who are compassionate. For example, a judge should be impartial. That's the way this works. A judge makes the decision based on the law, not on any emotion, not on personal opinion. So someone will come up charged of a crime, they're found guilty, and some bad judges will say, ha, I'm limited to 10 years. That's all I can give you. But if it was up to me, I'd give you life. And some judges feel better than, better than, greater than the person in the dock. Not a good attitude. Not the attitude of Jesus. And then you have other judges. And they much more identify with the accused. They sympathize. He is able to empathize and sympathize with us. For he himself was tempted at all levels, just as we are, but did not sin. And then you have another type of judge who says, Sir, you have been found guilty. 
and the law requires this sentence but you know what I'm going to do I'm going to help you with rehabilitation I'm going to make available for you early parole if I can shorten your sentence etc etc I got to really search myself and find what sort of attitude of judgmentalism am I bringing forward am I actually someone who's talking about the goodness and holiness of God and how I and you can get right with him or am I seeing myself aloof and above all this that's not a good place to be The third thing they say to us very often when you're preaching on the streets and in our churches and families, oh, you're old-fashioned. <laughs> this Bible thing is old-fashioned. I mean, haven't we moved on somewhat? Shouldn't you be moving on as a church when you need to be really, really, really careful about moving on from some things? I, I studied history at university level. I'm fascinated by that. And one of the when you do that, some of the big picture items just jump out at you. And one of the things that, if you study all history, one of the most remarkable things about history is marriage. Three times in the history of this planet, we have seen two empires, and now the nations of the world, approach marriage. The Romans did it. The Romans were the first to, to remove marriage within their culture. They wanted to abolish it and have a marriage-free society. The Roman Empire is the only empire that did not get conquered. <laughs> they didn't need to be conquered. The way they handled marriage destroyed them. There's a great book called The Early Church by Henry Chadwick, which will explain all that in great detail. They collapsed like the Titanic. They fell from inside because they removed one of the maker's building blocks in sanctified and God-blessed relationships. The Russians didn't learn from that example, so... A millennium later they did the same thing they removed marriage within their society they were much quicker to respond however they quickly it was about three or four years and they realized they were having lawlessness in their society uh, relationships were breaking down families were destroyed and they reinstituted marriage realizing that it was more important than they had originally thought history teaches us and that any society that messes with marriage comes down it collapses First, the Romans, then the Russians. Here we are today, guys. It's happening all around us. Another thing that people say, well, I feel that Jesus accepts me, even with my behaviors. And Jack can say this. You can say this. I don't think my behavior matters, you know. I think Jesus just accepts me no matter what. You need to be careful about how you feel, you know, feelings. Be careful about accepting your feelings or being led by your emotions be very careful of that i mean i could say i'd love to bang my head against this table maybe my emotions are leading this not a very good idea i could kill you emotional how many of you have made bad emotional decisions look back on your life when you were led by your feelings don't be led by your feelings especially in relationships People say to me constantly, look, I think we're speaking a different language. <coughs> I think you and I are speaking a different language. And the answer is, yes, we are, actually. <laughs> she definitely speaks a different language. You know, do you know why they speak Spanish in Colombia? Hang on a minute. Spain's in Europe. What, what, what's the story? Who changed your words? 
Who changed your language? Who changed the words in your country? Answer, the colonizers. Spain, colonial powers. One of the first things you have to do with a society, a people, or a country, if you want to dominate it, what do you have to do? Change the words. Change the terminology. Change the speech. That's what they do. That's why they speak English and French in Canada. Because if you want to dominate, you have to change the language. And this changes the mentality and then the behavior. And that's what's happening all over the world. There's a colonization going on of the planet to change my speech, to change my terminologies. It's as old as the hills. Do you know, my name is not Mike McKeever. Now there's a piece of information for you. My name is not Mike McKeever. I'm not joking. My name is Michael McGeever with a G. Yeah, there you go. Because I'm Irish. And Ireland was at war with Britain. My father was born in 1911. And Ireland was divided in 1922. And the northern six counties became part of the UK. Anglicized. And my father told me, he said, you know, when I was in school, he was about 14 years old. And this official from the British government came into his classroom when I was 14. And each of us had to state our name. And my father's name was Patrick M-A-C-G-E-V-E-E-R. MacGeever. The Gaelic way. And this official said, you are no longer Patrick McGeever. You have to remove the A and you have to change the G to a K. He anglicized the names. People who were called O'Callaghan became Callaghan. That's why you see Callaghan written. That was originally had an O before it. And the Max had an M-A-C, not an M-C. In order to dominate Northern Ireland, what's the first thing? They, they changed the words. They changed the speech. Hola, como estás? Change the speech. Dominate the countries. And that's what's happening today. Just be very careful of it, that's all. Another thing people say, and this is getting ridiculous now, but this is what's happening. I'm supposed to accept that all, all ideas are valid. You have to accept anything anybody says. Well, no. No, I'm not going down that road. You can be insane if you wish, okay? But I refuse to join in your insanity. Not all ideas are equal. Not all ideas are equal. Okay, if we're having a discussion around a table about diets, very good after lockdown, hallelujah. We're having a discussion about diets, okay? And Mr. A says, well, I believe in a vegan diet. I said, okay, fair enough, I understand that. Probably quite healthy. And Mr. B says, well, I believe in vegetarian. Equal ideas, valid ideas. And then Mr. C says, well, I believe in eating broken glass and soil three times a day. That idea is not valid. These ideas I can understand. These ideas make some logical sense. But please don't expect me to accept the ridiculous or to endorse the ridiculous. These ideas are not equal. They are not valid. And you're verging on insanity when you begin to call all things valid. Because they're not. Hello. 
And all over the world this is happening. People are agreeing to the ridiculous. So no, no, I, all ideas are not valid. And lastly, on frequently asked points and questions, is the LGBT community for whom I have an enormous sympathy and care. And I want to see action in this department for salvation. Often one of the responses we get, well, this is our business. You st get the church to stay out of our business. It's nothing to do with the church, nothing to do with you. But I'm sorry, that is not true. This business is everybody's business. This involves your work. This involves your children, your school. Your, it involves everything. It involves our government, involves our nations, involves the United Nations. This is not your business. This has become everybody's business, my business and yours whether you like it or not. So Tadaya asked us to begin to form some kind of script. And my opening points there are an idea of what we should do, what each of us should do. Develop a dialogue, at least in answering the typical kind of confusions and hurts and pains that people are carrying. <coughs> my second point this morning it's about the misgendering. There's a lot of talk at the moment about misgendering, right? Using the wrong pronouns and everything else. But if I can just go back a little bit before this big discussion started, right? Um, I, I, I've been dealing with this issue many years. I, I am very, uh, before I say what I'm about to say, I don't want people who don't know me to take me the wrong way. I believe in promoting women. I do everything I can to do that. I support women massively and Feel free to call any church I've ever pastored. I've pastored several. And I have a long history of supporting women, of promoting women any time I can, because I see the need to do that. There's nothing chauvinistic in me. I don't have that. It's just not part of my nature. It wasn't in my dad either. It's not in my nature. Um, so what I'm saying is not coming from that. It's not coming from that. Misgendering. I grew up in a very happy home very very happy home my father was a typical father he went to work in the morning he brought home the money when there was disorder in the home quiet <laughs> he brought order in the home he brought direction he led our family very well he he was carrying the responsibility he was a typical man a typical father and a very typical husband. Good stuff. My mother, such a difference. Such a difference. She was so caring. She established the home. She loved us, cared for us. She poured out the love in the home. And so cooperative. Ours was a happy, balanced, normal family. Huh? It's true. It's just the way it was. What happened? What happened to the world? And suddenly, there was a kind of a switch around the 60s and 70s. And suddenly, many women have their own careers more than ever before. I got their own money. Got my own money. Highly educated now. I'm making my own decisions, actually. What did you just say? And suddenly, there were opportunities, mindsets that began to morph and change. And the woman can provide. The woman can provide order. She's got education. She's got quality. The trouble is... What's the man's role again? <laughs> Does the man have any role left? 54% divorce in marriages today. Because a lot of the men just walk out. There's nothing for me to do here. <laughs> move along, move along. Nothing to see here. 
We have come. Now, do you know the problem? My parents were happy. But a lot of couples today are not happy. They're not happy. But they don't even know why they're not happy. They don't know why they're not happy. Single moms particularly. Single moms say, I have to be female, you know, um, feminine and masculine. I have to be the father and the mother. In the career, many women feel they have to be masculinized to be successful in their career. That's a big mistake. And when women start to change their demeanor, this is misgendering, if you know what I mean. This is changing the original design. When a woman changes her demeanor so that she becomes half masculine, that's not attractive to the, a, a proper guy, right? And that affects her relationships with men. And many, men, many, men, many young men today, do you know, they look at this confusion. Do you know what they say? I think I'd rather just be with a guy. Looks a lot simpler than all this complicated marriage stuff. Better just be someone with my own sex. Or many girls, the same thing. That's because we've messed around with the biblical models. And I repeat, please, ladies, be as successful as you want. That's not my point. I want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy. And the things that women have ended up pursuing more recently have not made them happy. Do you know who's good at this? Latinos are good at this. In different countries, different men have different strengths, different women have different strengths. But I don't know if you know Dr. Phil. You know Dr. Phil in America? It's a TV program. It's like social services on TV. He has families who are having troubles and all this sort of stuff. And you'll all know Oprah Winfrey. Famous Oprah Winfrey. Dr. Phil and Oprah Winfrey both invited the same person on different shows, their shows in America, to talk about why North American men, when they're getting married and they go on dating sites, the number one place they go is to marry Latinos. Okay? That's a fact. And the statistics were staggering. Unbelievable. Just such a floodgate. And this became, got to the attention of Dr. Phil. Why are so many North Americans going for Latino brides? Oh, for Winfrey, the same. And a man called Mark Edward Davis wrote a book. I've watched many of his seminars. And he began, began to explain why. And his basic point is this. All cultures have strengths. Oh, you know, men in this culture have this strength, women in this country. He said, but the odd part about Latino women is they are very strong, but very feminine. Very strong. They can be leaders, high achievers. They've got all that part. But they refuse to give up their gender. They don't sacrifice their gender to be successful in their career. They don't sacrifice their agenda uh, and lose their marriage or their relationship with their husband. They keep that. And I, I like men to be men and women to be men. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> I like men to be men and women to be women. I really do. I really do. I think that's the design. That's the design. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. And if you live by the design, my experience, and I've been up to my neck in this for a long time, do you know the result? Happiness. If you obey the design, if you listen to the maker, you'll end up with a lot of joy flowing through your house. But if you start messing about with it, trying to improve God's design. Improve. He made a few mistakes here. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think we've messed it up. And we need to get back to the original design. 
So firstly, Q&A and some general questions that we need to be able to answer. Secondly, I don't want to, misgendering is, is nothing new. It's affected many of you already in another way. And you've walked into the trap. Be careful of that. And my last point today, we need to develop some serious strategies as a church <coughs> here and around the world in different countries, strategies for, for running our homes, our churches and our lives and our jobs. The first strategy, please keep love as your ethos, okay? For God so loved the world. Keep love, not judgment. God didn't come into the world to judge this world or to condemn this world. He came to love and to bring mankind to himself. Every one of them if he could. It is God's wish that all men be saved. Everybody, even you. That's amazing. Even you. That's staggering. If that doesn't stop you, pray that it does stop you. God so loved the world that he sent his son to save all mankind. Let love be our ethos. Let love drive all that we do. Now, as I, you know, the Bible says, if you love your children, you will discipline them. You will tell them right from wrong. If you love them. If you don't love them, you won't discipline them. So how do I express that love to the community I live in? I need to tell them right from wrong. And that gets misinterpreted. They see it. You're judging me. Well, no, actually, I'm loving you. <laughs> I'm loving you. Society may, you know, encourage you down wrong roads. I can't do that. So the way I love you is by explaining to you who God is and the judgments that he has put in place that we all must strive to live by and achieve. So first, let love be your ethos. Secondly, Please join us as we continue our education on Friday in this area. But the little chat, remember years ago when I was, I think I was about 14, my father took me for a little chat. I think we all know what the little chat is about cabbages and caterpillars and butterflies and bees. <laughs> I was about 14. This chat needs to be taking place around five today. Okay, because it's happening in the school anyway. It's happening in the school. We just got to catch up with it. So that little chat needs to be happening now, very, very young. And it needs to be quite explicit because the schools are explicit. And my last point today, and I'm finishing, for heaven's sake, pray. Do you know what? You love the people you pray for. You love the people you pray for. And if there's any judgmentalism in you, to any culture, any group, or any community, not just LGBT, any community, pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for all aspects of our society. And may God help us, like Jesus did, to go out into our families, our workplace, and be the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus Christ. That's it. So they said to Jesus, you know, I can just see those apostles seeing Jesus as so removed from them. I think that probably made them feel bad about themselves. God, look at him and look at us. We're nothing. And he didn't want, that's why he came to earth. My father, no. No, 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 no. Our father, come here, come here, come here.
in Matthew's chapter 6, isn't it? Would you say the Our Father as I conclude this morning? Let's say the Our Father together. As we lift ourselves, our families, our communities and our strategies evangelistically going forward. Join me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive others theirs. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tim. God bless you. Everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Thank you.